Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. We're in chapter 14 right now, and what he tells us in chapter 14 is basically this. We need to be protective of relationships with others. Uh, because if we're not, if we're not protective of relationships with other believers, and if fellowship and relationships go, go out the door, uh, so to speak, along with that uh, will be a lot of our service and our desire to serve, or maybe even our capability to serve the way we would like to, will also go out the door if we're not very careful when we have uh, problems in, in relationships with other believers. The background of this in, in Romans 14, Paul is right into a church in Rome that had people of different backgrounds. Some were Jewish in their background. Some uh, were maybe, you know, saved out of idolatry and, uh, and everything like that. Uh, so uh, he is uh, letting us know that everyone's not on the same scale. Also, in, in Romans 14, he's dealing with this uh, idea of essentials and non-essentials. So kind of keep that in mind. He's talking about uh, essential issues and non-essential issues and weak believers and strong believers. Uh, when you think about uh, an essential issue, uh, since I was talking about unity a moment ago, Paul recognizes that the harmony is important in the church or the mission of the church is going to be affected, but you need to recognize that it's not harmony at all cost. Uh, we, we have to believe in some essentials. There's some essential things uh, such as uh, the virgin birth of Christ, such as, uh, you know, Jesus redemption on the cross for our sins and taking his life back up, uh, such as uh, you and I are saved by grace. We're not saved by works uh, whatsoever. It's all of, of God's grace when we trust Christ as our Savior. Those are essentials that we really have to hold on to. Uh, but there are a lot of non-essentials uh, that we tend to argue about sometimes in churches and things like that that we really need to avoid, uh, such as, you know, how should a Christian dress or what version of the Bible should you carry or... Or, you know, is it okay to go watch a movie uh, or not? All kinds of uh, non-essential things that, regrettably, that tends to be the things that causes conflict a lot of times in believers or in churches. And the sad thing about that is this. Those things will not matter one bit in eternity. Uh, and, and yet, many times, we get focusing on stuff that does not matter. We get focusing on non-essentials instead of essentials. And as I said, we need to recognize that there are weak believers and strong believers. Paul talks about that in uh, Romans 14. Everyone's not at the same level. You know, there are people who have been saved uh, a long time, and maybe they might have started out really rules-based or legalistic, and then they kind of grow beyond that and understand more about God's grace and everything. Uh, and, and there are people that, on the other hand, are still holding on to maybe a lot of rules, and they're a little bit more uh, rules-based in their Christian behavior or uh, in, in their Christianity, a little bit more legalistic. Uh, one, one amazing thing I think it, it might be for some people uh, is this. The, the ones that Paul calls weak in, in Romans 14 are actually the ones that are more legalistic and more rule-based. And, and in real life, they tend to be the ones that think they're the strongest. Uh, and the ones that he refers to being the stronger are the ones that are really freer in grace is what he's talking about in this passage of Scripture. So it's almost like things are completely reversed in the roles that people think about, uh, maybe in churches 
sometimes or, or in our culture. So, so a lot of that's the background. That's some more about the background of Romans 14. Uh, like I said a moment ago, there's some uh, in Rome who had worshipped idols. And, and, of course, in those uh, temples that worship idols, those heathen temples, they were sacrificing animals to false gods uh, and things like that. So there's a moral conflict uh, that believers who are saved out of that might have. You know, well, I, should I buy meat that's been sacrificed to an idol uh, down at the marketplace, uh, even though it's a good price or whatever? Should I buy that? Uh, should I drink wine that's been dedicated uh, to, to an idol? Uh, and then you've got the Jews that recognize, you know, holy days and feast days and things like that. So there's a lot of reason for them to have debates. Uh, they could have had as many debates as different people in the church at Rome. And the same thing is true in our culture today. We can have as many debates or different ideas about non-essential stuff pretty much as people that come to the church because we all have different backgrounds. We might be at different levels in, in, our, in our spiritual walk. And we need to kindly bear that in mind. The issues aren't the same, but there's still plenty of issues to cause division or debate or problems among believers. Um, that being said... In, uh, in chapter 14, there, there are really five questions that we're asking ourselves. And this is kind of the second part of, of the, the message. Last week, we looked at, at the first uh, three parts. And, and, and kind of you know, bear that in mind. I failed to say that. But we, we're awful bad sometimes to focus on, on the, uh, the minors instead of the major stuff, you know, as Christians and, and churches. We need to be sure we focus on, on what the major stuff is, on the essential stuff. But five important questions uh, that we can raise based upon what Paul writes in Romans 14. The first one was a question of conviction. In, in other words, he tells us you need to believe what you believe really in your own heart. You're not believing it because somebody else tells you to believe it. You're not believing it out of the wrong motive, just to, you know, have an occasion against somebody else or whatever. The second question was a question of purpose. We need to ask ourselves what our motive is. Am, am I doing what I do? Uh, in other words, my faith-based actions, the things that I do in my life because of what I believe, am I doing those things because I have the motive of honoring Jesus? Is that's why I do them? Or maybe do I have some other motive? I want to exalt myself or, or whatever the case might be. The third question was a, a question of accountability. Uh, and that simply means this. We need to ask ourselves the things that we practice in our lives based upon our faith. Will it stand the test at the judgment seat? And if it won't stand the test at the judgment seat, we might ought to question ourselves whether those things are valid enough to make issues uh, out of them uh, at all. So uh, today we're going to look at two more important questions uh, out of Romans uh, 14 and, and really finish up the chapter, verse 13 uh, down through verse 23. Here's the, the first question uh, today. It's a question of offense that we need to ask ourselves. Uh, am I causing other believers to stumble? But by the way that I live, the choices that I make, the, the things that I'm doing, the, maybe the rules that I follow based upon what I think I believe, am I doing it in a way that's really offending other believers? Uh, by the way, where I talked about the weak and the, and the stronger believer just a, a few minutes ago, Paul puts a greater responsibility on the stronger believer, the, the one that is freer in grace. Uh, in, in other words, just because you are freer in grace doesn't mean that you're not accountable. It doesn't mean that you're not responsible. We need to be absolutely sure that the things that we practice, that we think we have liberty to practice in our lives, that we're not doing it to the demise of someone else. We need to be sure that, that our freedom that we practice is not offending a weaker believer and thus harming them instead of trying to build them up. It's kind of what he's telling us in this passage of Scripture. Now, with, with that in mind, that we need to have this question in our mind, 
mind? Am I being a stumbling block? Am I offending other believers by the way I live? I want you to notice three, well, about four things, I think. Uh, first of all is this. Uh, we need to, in, to intentionally, we should intentionally decide to avoid placing stumbling blocks in the path of other people. Uh, he, he tells us this, Paul writes in verse 13, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but instead, he tells us to do this, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I need to consciously decide that to the best of my ability, God helping me, I'm not going to try and live my life in a way that's going to be a stumbling block, that's going to offend uh, someone else. Look at some of the words that he, that he uses here. The, the word for decide can actually be used in a court of law. Uh, so there are some things that maybe we do need to judge. Uh, we, we need to judge this. We need to judge our own mind. We need to judge our own practices. We need to judge uh, our intent, the freedoms that we practice in our lives as, as Christians saved by grace. We need to decide or distinguish uh, whether or not those things are causing a stumbling block. Now, the phrase for uh, stumbling block, uh, really, if you've ever been walking in the, in, in the woods and maybe hid under the leaves or something like that, there's a stub sticking up, you didn't see it, you, you trip over it, and you, know, you fall or at least you stumble. It, it's there. Or it might be a rock or something like that. I, I started today to maybe bring uh, several different sizes of rocks. I have a little pea gravel over here and then a rock and maybe a cinder block over here. Because by our lives, uh, we can cause people to stumble a little bit or a whole lot, uh, maybe by the way that we practice liberties uh, in, in our lives as Christians. Uh, the... Um, the word also can refer to uh, leading someone to sin, uh, offending somebody in such a way that they, in, in grief, kind of uh, because they've been harmed or offended by your life, they're kind of beating their chest, you know, because they're, they're in grief. They've been harmed uh, over your actions. And then he also tells us not to put a hindrance in the way uh, of a brother or another believer. And uh, the, the Greek word there is the same uh, word we get our English word scandal from. But what it refers to is a trigger uh, in a trap. Uh, a noose or something like that, or some of the, you know, wire cages that they make today, uh, trying to catch pesky animals that you're wanting to get rid of. And there might be some type of food, uh, in there and part of the, the trap, and they happen to eat that, and the cage falls down, and they're trapped. So he's telling us that we need to avoid, as Christians, uh, offending people, causing them to trip up, or, or kind of causing them to be caught up, uh, in, in some way by our actions to where, uh, we, instead of encouraging them, we're harming them. Instead of helping them, we're, we're hurting them. We, we do need to judge some things. We, we need to judge this, though. Instead of us spending time judging each other, I, I need to look in the mirror a little bit more. I need to be a little bit more reflective. You need to be a little bit more reflective and ask yourself if, if you are causing someone else to stumble, if you're being a stumbling block in somebody else's life. That's what we need to evaluate, whether or not we're causing somebody to trip up over our lives. If the way that you practice your Christianity is causing other people to trip and be harmed rather than to benefit from it. And you see, that's a serious thing because Jesus said this. Look what Jesus said in uh, Matthew. He said, whoever, in, in some translations say, whoever offends one of these little ones, uh, the literal translation is who causes one of these little ones that believes in me to sin. But he says, whoever offends one of these or who causes one of these little ones that believe in me to sin. Notice what Jesus said. It would be better for him to have a great millstone hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now that's Jesus I'm quoting, not a till of the hun. That's a pretty serious statement. Jesus said that, you know, his little ones, and, and you know, a lot of times we just think of children. We're 
all his little ones. <laughs> the believers are his little ones. And we need to be careful that we're not causing them to sin or causing them to stumble. And he said it'd be better for you that you'd have a millstone put around your neck and throw it in the sea rather than offend or cause someone else to stumble. And then he kind of looks at our, uh, at our own lives and he more or less says some other serious stuff. He says, if, if your hand calls you to sin, cut it off. It'd be better to do without it than to wind up going to hell as a result of it. If your food offends you, he says, cut it off because he'd be better off to be without it and be, you know, lame than it would be to go to hell with two feet. He even says, if your eye offends you, uh, you need to pluck it out. Uh, what, what in the world is a tender lamb of God saying? I mean, he's not literally saying, cut your hand off your foot, I'll pluck your eye out. He, he's telling us that we do need to though, evaluate our lives and see if sin is doing that kind of damage to us. We, we need to try and cut off the sin in, in our life and that temptation that is there. Because it doesn't just hurt us, it hurts other people also. We, 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 need, to, we need to bear in mind that you and I can be stumbling blocks. So we need to intentionally decide. That's what he told us to do. Decide this. He said, judge this. Decide this. That you're the best that you can be. Uh, with God helping you, you're not going to be a stumbling block for somebody else. Second thing that he, that he tells us here is, is, is this. Christians, even though we're free in grace, amen to that, right? Thank God for grace, you know. But even though we're free in grace, we're not free to destroy other people by our freedom. We're, we're, even though we're set free by God's grace, we're not free to, to practice that in a way that demises other people, in a way that, that harms other people in, in their spiritual life. He writes these, these words, I, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Now, why is that true? Who made everything? God. So just by itself, there's not anything wrong with it. It's the way we use it, the way we practice it, the way we look at it and everything. So he said by itself, there's not anything unclean, but... It is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. And by what you eat, do not destroy the one from whom Christ died. Even though we have liberties and we're set free uh, through God's grace, we can't just haphazardly practice those liberties because we need to recognize there are people, like I said earlier, at different levels, weaker, stronger uh, believers. And if we're not careful and we practice something we think we've got perfectly liberty to do in the uh, presence of someone that might be offended by it, then we're actually committing a sin. Paul even tells us that. It's wrong for us to do anything intentionally that can, can grieve or destroy someone else, to cause someone to be distressed or, or to be sad because of our actions, to fully destroy them, to tear them down, to, to ruin or cause destruction, because that's not God's goal for our lives as Christians. He doesn't want us to be tearing people down. He wants us to build people up, and we'll see that in just a few moments as we progress through the passage of Scripture. See, it's really selfish for us to do this. It's really selfish for you or I as a believer to practice anything that we want to practice at the demise of someone else. Even though you may have complete liberty in your conscience to do so, if you're practicing before a weaker brother in a way that offends them, it's selfish. It might be lawful. It might not be anything wrong with doing it. But at the same time, it could violate what's called the law of love here. Just because it's lawful doesn't mean it meets the law of love. Anything by itself is not unclean. But if this other person views it unclean and you're doing it in front of them, what have you done? You have violated their conscience. 
You, you, you're not practicing love before them. And you're failing to remember something. You're failing to remember that Jesus did not just die for you. Jesus died for that weaker believer. Jesus died for all. And we can't just write them off and act like it's okay for us to do whatever we want to do in our lives and cause them grief or cause them to stumble or pull them down or destroy them in some way. Paul was writing about something really similar to this in, in 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10 because he was kind of dealing with a question there. Is it okay for Christians to eat meat to sacrifice to idols? Look what, uh, look what he says uh, <clears throat> here in verse number 1. He, he says, Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. But, notice what else he says, this knowledge puffs up. But love does what? What does it say? Build up. See, knowledge, I mean, I, I, wished, I, I wished I had never been like this, and I, but I have in my life before, so I'll, you know, I'll confess first, but I also wished I had not seen a lot of other believers like this. But there's a lot of people that can get a lot of this in here and not love anybody at all. They can get it in here and they can spit it out. But, but miss having love. They can be puffed up in pride because of all that they know. And yet at the same time, they're not practicing love toward anybody. They're just lifted up in pride instead of building somebody else. You see, you have to have a balance between the two. Yeah, you have to have knowledge and love to kind of balance it out. Let me illustrate that if, if, if I can. Uh, children. Uh, when there's a, a storm at night or whatever, sometimes there don't have to be a storm. They just don't like the dark. I remember going through a phase like that when I was, I don't know, this tall or so, I, I guess. And I can, man, when they would turn the lights off at night, I could see boogers in every shadow. You ever been there? You know, where you could do that when you're growing up? And, and, and I would kind of look at it long enough. And then before long, I had to call mama. You know, because dad was working a lot and things like that at the time when he was, when he was still alive. So I'd call her and, 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 and she would come in. You've had that happen. Those of you that are parents probably with your own kids, right? Now, now what works? Does it work when they cry out to you and they're scared because they think they see something? If you just go in and you say, there's not anything there. Shut up. Go to sleep. They might be afraid to cry out because you just, you know, kind of, bit their head off, but it doesn't fix things for them. Just giving them the knowledge, hey, there's nothing there. But when the mother or the father comes in to the room and they take that child and they explain to the child there's nothing there, but they sit down and they love that child. It's the, it's the knowledge plus the love that sets them at ease. And that's what we have to practice in our Christian lives. Just throwing knowledge at somebody, if we don't practice love with it at the same time, we're not going to meet the goal that God has for us. And that's to build people up instead of trying to offend people and just pull people down. See, the question is not this. A lot of times we make the question just about us. The question is not about how will this affect me if I do it. That's part of the question. But the question is also this, if I do this, how will it affect others? How will it affect someone else? 
Will it grieve them? Will it harm them? Will it pull them down? Will it destroy their, their life in some way? See, Paul also wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He said, And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died, the sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother to stumble. Now, he's not talking about vegetarians and things like that. He's talking about, you know, the violating the conscience of the person in that day because it was sacrificed to idols. But think about that. If you're sitting with someone and you know something you're about to do is going to offend them, he said, don't do it. And if you do it anyway to their demise, he said, you've sinned against Christ. Not what you're doing was a sin, but the fact that you practice it to the demise of someone else, God looks at it as a sin. That, that's why we need to judge ourselves and be careful about that. Third thing that he tells us here is this. We need to also not just be concerned how it might affect somebody else. We need to be concerned how whatever we're practicing might affect our, our own selves. We, we need to be sure we don't harm our own testimony or reputation as we practice liberties or freedoms that we feel like we have as Christians. Paul said, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. The, the word evil there literally means to vilify. Don't, don't practice a liberty in your life. Knowing up front that you're practicing is going to cause people to condemn you and talk about you and put you down because they think what you're doing is wrong, whether it was wrong or not. Now, the, the, probably the best way to, maybe to illustrate that, may not be the best way, but it's what I'm going to use uh, for an illustration in this area, uh, may be talking about alcohol, you know. Um, if, if you, some of you have heard me say this before, if not, please don't faint away or get up and walk out uh, or anything. But I, I, I don't think we can honestly say the Bible teaches that it's a sin for somebody to take a drink of alcohol. You can clearly say drunkenness is a sin. You understand that? Clearly say that. But, 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 listen. Please listen to the rest of it. A lot of places across this world, a Christian could sit down and take a drink in public, and it would never, ever be a problem. But we live in an environment, in a culture, here in the area that we live in, if I were to go out and take a drink. And I don't. Let me tell you two reasons I don't. I don't because my dad was an alcoholic. I don't know where it might take me. So just, you know, I, I don't do that. I, I did in high school. Shouldn't have. I should have learned enough from what my dad experienced because he lost his life by being in an argument with a man drunk, trying to walk off the man and shot him in the back. And a lot of times, I, you know, I, I laid it wake up. My dad will come home drunk tonight, but he did. He did. He did. And he did several times and, and everything. But so that's one reason that, that I don't. Other reason is this. I have to recognize where I minister and where I'm at. And if I were to be seen out drinking in a public place, uh, then, then, you know, in this area, man, Lynn Parsons, can you know what he was doing? He's a preacher and he was out doing that. I was, uh, uh, Jerry and myself were out to eat lunch one day. He had a doctor's appointment. And uh, the, the place we went to eat, I, I'd heard had good food. Uh, Jared was, was playing in a band at the time. He's not playing with them now. They had actually played there before. Uh, so um, we decided to go there and have lunch just to see what the food was like. They serve a lot of other stuff, uh, you know, b besides just the, the good food. But I'm sitting in there uh, at, at the table, and Jared's sitting with me. And here comes Heath Swanson. Some of you know Heath. Some of you may not. Uh, they were at the first service today. Uh, Heath, Heath's a member of our church and everything. So Heath comes over and, and says, let, 
let me see what's in your cup. <laughs> yeah, I said, it's water here. You can, you can smell it. He said, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about Jared. Let me see what's in his cup. And so, I, I, you know, Heath was here at first service, and I was kind of joking about that, using that as an illustration. But he came up afterwards, and he told me something else. They said, you need to add to that as a second part of the story, because he had a guy with him that works with him who had been here once for Heath's brother's funeral. That's the only time, and, and, and he doesn't go to church. But he told him, because he saw me sitting in there eating, and I, 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 mean, I wasn't doing anything I shouldn't be doing, but he, he told Heath, but if I ever do go to church, I'll go to your church. So that spoke some volumes to him that maybe he could come here and find some acceptance, even though he's got some other problems. You understand what I'm saying? But the warning is this, to get back on, on track of what the, the main thought is. The warning is simply this. If, if you and I practice something that's perceived by people around us to be wrong, you're going to ruin your own testimony. And the effectiveness that you have to serve those. So we also need to guard against practicing Christian liberty in a way that will ruin our testimony. And here's kind of, the, the, I guess, the main thing that we really need to get to. And Paul also tells us this. He, he tells us that we need to remember our goal. Our goal is Christians. Our goal is not about eating and drinking something. Our goal is about building the kingdom of God and building other believers. Look what he writes. For the kingdom of God is not, and by the way, the negative that he uses there in the Greek means absolutely not. The kingdom of God is absolutely not a matter of eating and drinking. That's not what it's about. So why argue about it? Why make that the debate? I mean, insert some other things. The kingdom of God is not about a version of a Bible. It's not about a dress code. It's not about a style of music. The, the, the kingdom of God is not about those things. But what it is about is this. The kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Put whatever else you want to put there that might be the debatable issue. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or whatever else the issue might be that's a debatable issue in our culture today. Or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now, look at some of the words. Righteousness means doing right, doing what you know that God would really want you to do. Peace is not the thought of, oh, I feel like I'm at peace. That's not, the, the word for peace here is, it means to join together. See, that's the, the goal. God wants us to practice what's right, but God wants us to be joined together with other believers. And remember, we're not all the same. We're not all at the same level. There are weaker believers, stronger believers, but he wants us all to be joined together serving Christ. That's why we have to be careful about condemning each other and judging each other about debatable issues, about non-essential issues. 
Because that will keep us from being joined together and hinder the service and the impact of ministry that God wants a church to have. That's why we need to stay on task with the things that are essentials and need to avoid the non-essentials because he wants us joined together. And he wants us to have joy, this, this calm delight, not a constant upheaval, not a constant gossip meal, not, not a constant putting other people down. He wants us as believers to have joy and righteousness and to serve God together. That's the goal that he has for us. And that kind of Christian life, he said, is acceptable to God and approved by men. That's that's, that's our goal as believers. We need to do what is acceptable by God and what is approved by men because we need to impact the lives of men. He said we're to pursue or, or flee after as though you're, you're hunting something down. Uh, right now it's turkey season. I've never really been a turkey hunter. My brother is. Uh, Daryl is. Daryl's got it bad, you know, right now, to be honest with you. Doesn't he, Emily? You know, you know, his daughter over there. If you're around Daryl right now and you hear your cell phone goes off, you know, if you know what it sounds like? It sounds like a turkey. <laughs> Because that's what he's about right now. So he, you know, wearing camouflage and camouflage guns and go out and sit in the woods and, and try and squawk like a turkey or use a box or something in your mouth, everything you can do to, to try and, you know, get the, get the turkeys to come in. I, I had my occasion to, uh, hear all these people talking about Duck Dynasty, Duck Dynasty, Duck Dynasty. Well, I was, I was just flipping by this past week and I found it. I thought, well, I'll watch it and see what everyone's talking about. And Sid was out there with feathers like this. They were out turkey hunting. He was trying to make a sound of the feather. And the other guy said, you idiot, you're going to get yourself shot. <laughs> but people will do those things because they're trying to pursue the turkey. Well, you and I as believers, we're, we're not to pursue non-essentials. It, it doesn't, you know, what someone eats or how they dress or for, all, all the things that we might want to make debatable issues. That's not what we're supposed to pursue. What we're supposed to pursue, pursue is righteousness. What we're supposed to pursue is being, being joined together, the things that make for peace. What we're supposed to pursue is things that provide mutual upbuilding. And the word there literally means architecture, a structure, a building. The root word means to build it up all the way to the roof line. See, that's, that's the goal that we have as, as believers is to help build other believers up all the way to the roof line. I mean, it wouldn't be much of a house if you go out and just build the foundation and say, well, I'm done with it. You know? You, you have to build walls up and continue to finish construction all the way up to the roof line. And that's our goal as believers, to where we are trying to build people up. It's not our goal to debate with people and argue with people about things that will not matter in eternity. It's our goal to build each other up as much as we can all the way up to the roof line. We're to build up other believers in love. First Corinthians 10, he says, all things are lawful. That's Paul writing from the standpoint of a Christian saved by grace. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. You know where we've messed up the church and Christianity really bad? We make it all about us. And it's not supposed to be about us it's supposed to be about God, and it's supposed to be about building others up. And if I have the goal to build others up, and you have the goal to build others up, we'll build each other up. 
That's what we're supposed to be focused upon. We're not supposed to be focused upon arguing about things that will not matter one bit in eternity. As Christians, we need to have priorities. And our priorities should be righteousness and peace being joined together in, in joy and building each other up, mutual upbuilding. That needs to be what our, our goals are. And regrettably, though, many times I, I've heard stories, and you have too, maybe even been part of it before, to where churches have all kinds of arguments and problems about, well, which side will we put the piano on or which side will the organ go on? Or renovating the building and having big upheavals about, about what they're going to do. <clears throat> I, I've told this story for a different reason uh, before, but first full-time church I was getting ready to go pastor, I, I preached a trial message and I asked one of the deacons on the search committee if he could give me a, a copy of the tape and uh, because I wanted to really go home and see how bad that I did uh, and everything and listen to it and evaluate the whole service. And he did that, and then I listened, and then on the other side of the tape, he didn't think to check the other side. He just grabbed an old tape and, and, uh, and made a copy of it. And the other side of it was a business meeting from two years prior. And uh, they were not happy campers. I mean, they were arguing with each other. It was all about you know, exactly what to do uh, about maybe changing something on the front of the building, some type of construction that they were going to do, and things like that. My problem was it was only about 30 miles from where I grew up at, and I knew some of the voices and everything uh, on it. And, uh, and I'm thinking, God, you lay this in my lap, and then you tell me to go pastor them, you know, and, and everything on top of it. But, but one lady, I still remember her, hearing her say on that tape, my husband's the one that designed the front of that church, and it will be changed over my dead body. Six months later, she was dead. But I also remember on the tape somebody else having a really, really good attitude. And he kind of stood up and said, it doesn't matter. What are we arguing about? I can go out here in the woods and sit on a stump and let's have a worship service. And I thought, amen, that's what it's about. But we argue over things that will not matter in, in, in eternity. We worry about externals. What we need to worry about is the eternals. We need to be focused on the important stuff. And Paul tells us, though, that we need to, we need to limit our freedoms in order not to cause others to stumble. He, he said, I will not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything indeed is clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. What is more important to you? Practicing your freedom or building up another Christian. Living the way you feel like you have the right to, or reaching somebody else for Jesus. You know, what's most important? The last question, I'll, I'll cover it quickly. Question number five that we need to ask in light of what Paul says is, is simply this. It's a question of conscience. Am I doing what I do? My faith-based actions, what I believe, the things that I do in my life, Am I doing it really by faith? Is it really in my conscience that, that, that this is the thing that I ought to do? Verse 22 and 23, and then we'll kind of break it apart two ways. It says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. 
Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because eating is not from faith. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. More or less, he's telling us we need to have a clear conscience. You and I need to have a clear conscience concerning others. The things that I practice based upon what I believe. I need to have a clear conscience that I'm doing it for the right reason, that I'm not offending them like we've already talked about. So much that Paul says this, the faith that you have, you want me to paraphrase it for you? Keep it to yourself if it's hurting somebody else. You think you've got the liberty to do this? That's well and fine between you and God. But if you're practicing it to the demise of another believer, stop it. It's fine if it's a liberty that's between you and God and you know you can practice. But if you're doing it in a way that is tearing somebody else down, a stumbling block before their lives, he's saying keep it between yourself and God instead of practicing your faith in a way that harms somebody else. Not only do we need to have a clear conscience toward others, I need to have a clear conscience toward myself. You need to have a clear conscience toward yourself. He said, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself. He said that if you are doubting, the fact that you're doubting what you're doing is really condemning yourself in your own actions. Look at some of the words that he, that he uses here. Past judgment more or less means don't cause yourself to put yourself on trial. What you're practicing, if, 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 it is, if you're judging it as though you think you're wrong in your own mind, then you need to leave it alone is what he's saying. If you are eating or whatever it is you're doing, if you're doing it by doubt, if there's hesitation there, if you're not fully convinced then leave it alone. Because if, if you eat when you doubt, you're condemning yourself. You're, you're passing a sentence against yourself. And he said, whatever doesn't come out of the origin of faith it is a sin to you. Once again, weak believers, strong believers, people at different levels. What might be right for me and I have perfect liberty to do in my life may be wrong for you or somebody else and vice versa. That's why I said keep it to yourself instead of offending them. But you don't need just a clear conscience toward others. You need to have a clear conscience yourself to where you don't worry all the time. All right, should I, is this wrong or is it right? I've been doing it. Is it wrong? You see, your own conscience is condemning you that it's a sin if you can't really do it out of faith. The believer has doubts about some of his practices. It's keeping him from experiencing what God says he wants us to experience. What was it? Righteousness, peace, joy. You're not going to experience those if you're violating your own conscience by what you practice. Romans chapter 10 told us this. Faith comes by what? By hearing, and hearing comes by what? The Word of God. So that, that needs to be our guide. But if it's unclear and you can't see it just clearly in, in the Word of God, you might maybe follow this good policy. If it's doubtful, it's dirty to you. Does that make sense? If it's doubtful, it's dirty. It's wrong. 
to you to practice. Be a good policy to follow. How, how many of us um, would drink milk or, you know, tea or soda or something if you thought it was contaminated? How many of you would eat some food if you thought it had been poisoned? I'm not going to. And yet, as believers, a lot of times we practice stuff all the time that can be poison in our lives and poison to the life of somebody else. He calls us to serve Him as Christians. But if we don't manage our relationship correctly among ourselves as believers, our ability to serve and the impact that we can make and the mission of the church will be greatly hindered. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're a weaker brother, stronger brother, where you think you are. But I do know this. We have to pay attention to other people. And we need to have God's goal of building the kingdom and building others. And it's not about our liberties. That's not where our goal is. Now, I can hear some of the excuses because I'm human. I've got the same excuses. Why? Why, God? I mean, but why? I mean, why, if I'm at perfect liberty to do this, why do I have to worry about how it affects somebody else? Well, let me give you an illustration, and then I'll close. When you were first married, those of you that are, you could leave scissors laying around or knives laying around or whatever. You know, you didn't need to really worry about it. You didn't have to go around and put the little cap covers in the electrical outlets. They didn't have those when I was growing up. My mom said, don't ever stick anything in there. And I was probably, I don't know, three, four years old one time, and I found a metal file, you know, a finger of nail file that she had. And I thought, I wonder why mom told me not to do that. <laughs> yeah, I've never done it again on purpose. <laughs> but, but you see, you didn't worry about those things. Until you have kids. And then after you have kids, you don't just leave the scissors laying around anywhere, do you? Or knives laying around anywhere. Or leave the electric outlets uncovered and things like that. And, and the reason is you, you love the child. And as the child grows older, guess what? You can teach them a little bit more. And they grow and they mature. And it's okay to leave the scissors laying. And it's okay maybe to leave a knife on the counter. And it's okay not to cover the electrical outlet because they're maturing. But see, the point is this. Spiritually, there are a lot of Christians that are kind of like little kids. And the reason why we have to control our liberties is because we can harm them. As they grow, they can handle more. But the responsibility is on us as believers to be sure that we don't cause them to stumble, that we don't cause them harm. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You so amazingly loved us. You sent Your Son on the cross for our sins. We thank You, God, that You did it based upon your grace, your unmerited favor, your love. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing, that, that gives us everlasting life.
Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know that, they've never believed in Jesus, Father, I pray that you speak to them. Help them to see that you stand with open arms, that you love them. But Father, for the rest of us that know Christ, God, help us to evaluate right now. Help us to ask ourselves if we're stumbling blocks. God, we invite you by your Holy Spirit to show us areas of our lives that other people are tripping over. God, help us to have the goal to build each other up, not to tear each other down. Help us to to be unified always, to, to be joined together at whatever level we are in our spiritual walk, but God, to be joined together as believers, recognizing we have different backgrounds, different hobbies, different ideas, different rules, different liberties, but God, help us to be joined together to do the most important thing, and that's to serve you and lead others to you. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.